And we're back. Let's talk about God. Let's talk about him. I want to talk about him. I'll tell you that. How are you doing today? Doing good. Well, my second cup of coffee. Feeling right. Feeling good. Feeling real good. Had a busy day yesterday, but I'm enjoying this morning. We didn't say anything about this in the last episode, but this has been a condition since the last episode. Oh, yeah, uh, I forgot about that. But I had carpal tunnel surgery, so I'm I'm in here in our studios in our uh, hidden bunker in our undisclosed location um, with stitches in my hand. I don't like looking at it. You don't like much. looking? I'm showing you my stitches, folks, but he's not. I'm he, looking at your forehead. He's averting his eyes, but um, surgery went good. And I don't have tingling anymore in my hands and fingers, and mm. so it's uh, it's good. And I get my stitches out. This is Thursday. I get them out Tuesday morning, and I'll be ready. I'm re- I'm ready. I'm ready to get them out and get this hand going again and play oh. golf and fish. And let me know uh, if you need a hand with anything. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Uh, you handled that joke handily. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's just kind of a. We just kind of let you know what's going on in our lives. and What they do to your hand? They just snip something? Yeah, there's a ligament in there that actually, um, that ligament, it stretches and gets tight. And I don't know all the details, but it touches a nerve. And so when it hits that nerve, then it causes tingling and numbness mm. and even pain. Like I've had where at night, it, it'll wake me out of my sleep with a dull ache that's enough to bring me out of my sleep. Yeah. And people will shake their hand or they'll I, – I would drop my hand over the side of the bed, and that would be the thing that would alleviate it so that I could go back to sleep. Mm. And and it's usually people who are real active do it. So if you type a lot, people who type a lot do it. And then, you know, I golf and hunt and fishing. You're making the same casting. Think about it. You're doing the same activity. It aggravates that. And so I guess what they go in is they cut that ligament is what I understand. They just snip your ligament. It's a ligament they can cut that doesn't restrict. Because you can just still do stuff. You can still function. Yeah, that's my Crazy. understanding. I mean, I, I had it on my uh, right hand. And uh, that that scar is about, well, that's two inches long, isn't mm-hmm. it? Can you look at that scar? Yeah, I can look at the scar. Okay. There's no stitches. And there. this one was more of about like an inch inch and a quarter. So that's pretty cool. This one's shorter. So I feel like I'm, my recovery time has been better. So that's crazy. Anyway, I just figured I'd do it now because it can damage the nerve. Like Mm -hmm. if you you let it go on for a long, long time and I got shots. So if you folks can imagine going to the doctor and they have this little teeny tiny ultrasound unit that they put on there, put the squirt, the little gel and the ultrasound and he can, and he puts it on the screen. You can see the, the carpal tunnel and the nerve. Mm -hmm. And then they take a needle and they go down, and you can watch the needle go in, and then they inject medicine in there, and it gives you relief. And it, it lasts three, five months, something like that. And then it'll come back again. And you, and this hand, I did that for like five years. Wow. And this time, I did I did this for about two years, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to suck it up. Yeah. And first of the year, I'm going to schedule surgery and just get it done. Mm. And I always tried to do it in the dead of the winter when there's not a whole lot going on because I'm so active. So... I can tell though that surgery's really left a mark on your hand. I'm scarred for life. Scarred for life. You you just missed it. You missed it. 
What was it? Oh, I left a <laughs> mark. Left a mark on oh. you. Oh, See, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm all, back, baby. I'm all consumed in my stitches back, right now. Baby. I mean, I look like a little mini Frankenstein. I'm back, baby. But you got your pun <laughs> in. Yeah, because we're going to talk today about the gospel of Mark. Mark. Okay. so Man, you thought you had me in that last episode. You thought you were coming out on top. No, no, no. Well, your, your remark will leave an indelible print on my mind. And that so. the gospel truth. And that the gospel. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I, I just apologize. I just, I already do. I'm apologizing for this, for what we're doing to you folks. <laughs> When you said to me, let's do an episode on the introduction of the Gospel of Mark, I'll be honest, my initial reaction was, yeah, is that going to be the kind of thing that people were going to listen to? And then we started preparing for this, and I was like, wow, yep. this is going to be this is going to be great. I mean, I think people are going to absolutely have fun with this. This is cool. Yep. I sat in the office with one of our uh workers here, employees, financial administrator, Lisa, and I was just kind of shooting this stuff at her, and she was like, this is fascinating. I yep. didn't know all this stuff. She said, that, "She said it makes me want to go read the Gospel of Mark now. That's so, our goal today. Oh, I think that's our goal. So um, talk about Mark. What, what What's so cool? I know I love the Gospel of Mark. Mm-hmm. Like It's my favorite gospel. It's one of my favorite. It's up there. Yeah. It's awesome. Like people always say, John, I love John. Like, you know how when you get saved – Preachers will say, "Now I want you to go read the Gospel mm-hmm, of John," yeah. and I'm like, "John's kind of ethereal. John's, John's deep. Man. John gets deep." And I'm like, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." I tell people, "Go read Mark." Yep, that's what I always tell them. Go read the Gospel of Mark, mm-hmm. and and we're going to tell you why here today. Not I, gonna- yeah, I, sorry. I I think our goal today, just so that you know what we're going into, we're not here to. Uh, preach every sermon. We're not going chapter by chapter through Mark. None of that. What we want to do is we want to give you the background of Mark, and we want to give you the main themes, and we want to give you some helpful, like not boring, exciting tools to help you read and understand Mark. Kind of like financial administrator said, like we want you to walk away from this episode going, I have got to read that book. It's got so much in it. And so that's our goal today yep. is simply to give you a uh, uh, a big overview, a big umbrella, hand you the tools to be able to read Mark and really get a lot from it. So I think you're going to enjoy it today. I hope this podcast is even a resource in your mind where maybe you get to a Bible reading plan and you're going to read Mark. Maybe you come back and visit this episode again, just to kind of get that little refresher. That's I think this would be a good thing for that. So let's start with the history of, of the use of Mark. And I really just simply kind of want to highlight two things. One, Mark was neglected in the early church. Here's the thing. Matthew, you gave me the percentage yesterday. Matthew uses what percentage of Mark? Okay, so we have we have notes, but we might just need to just wing it here a little Let's bit. Let's use that as an outline. I don't want to, like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, so Mark was the first gospel. That's right. Okay, so we're going to throw some stuff, and we'll just, we always have an we outline. We mean it was the first gospel ever written. The first gospel written. Okay, so the date is normally uh, sixty to sixty to seventy, somewhere around a sixty-five to seventy A.D. Mm-hmm. Okay, some scholars even think it may have been in the fifties, but he is the first gospel that's written. All right, then you had Matthew and Luke and John. Mm-hmm. John did his own thing. Matthew, ninety percent of Matthew was taken from Mark. Fifty percent of Luke was taken from Mark. So this is a really important gospel because it was the first, 
and because it was a resource besides oral tradition and be, you know Matthew was an apostle of Jesus mm-hmm. Luke traveled with Paul and knew Peter so there was oral tradition so but Mark is the first so this is a really important gospel and what I'm getting at is in it is important in history it hasn't been so important we've kind of rediscovered this in, in, in the early church the belief was Matthew was the first gospel, yeah. not Mark. Even if you look at it canonically, which just means um, that the you know the whole order of the scriptures as we have them today, Matthew's the first one, and then Mark. We see it. Um, Matthew kind of got the prime importance because it took Mark, used you know so much of it, and then just built on it and gave it more details. In their brain, it was why would we read Mark with less details? So it's kind of, Mark's kind of got the short end of the stick. Well, in the 19th century, through scholarship and discovery, most scholars came to the conclusion that Mark was actually the first gospel to be written. And then Matthew and Luke kind of took that and built off of it. So Mark kind of has it. We should treat Mark with respect and we should view Mark uh, as important. And I think our argument today is, uh, unlike the early church, let's not view Mark as just like this sort of lesser detailed, not as good Matthew and Luke. Mark's got some unique parts about it. Two, the history of Mark, and this is what I think is the coolest thing, is Mark being the first gospel written gives us a brand new genre of literature. Like think of genre. There's fantasy. Like, and you, you might think of J.R.R. Tolkien as being kind of the king of fantasy of this crazy new genre. So fiction, but, nonfiction, romantic novels. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff. Action novels, comedies, yeah. Mark shows up in the beginning of his. Autobiography, autobiographies. I'll stop now. <laughs> in the beginning of Mark's gospel, he says, the beginning of the gospel of God. I feel like I'm doing a Books a Million commercial. I know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. You're trying to be serious. Go ahead. So like the gospel as we know it is the good news about Jesus. So when we talk about the gospel, but go- a gospel is also a new literary genre. Because there hasn't I mean, been anything like that. There's been nothing like it. And so the gospel is this weird biography about Jesus, but it's not this sort of lame, just historical, trying to just present the facts. It's the story of the most important man in the world who changed everything and can save you too. So Mark introduces this new genre of literature called a gospel we'd never even seen before. So it's kind of crazy with him being the first one doing that. Yeah, and Mark was written to mostly Gentiles, which is unique because uh, Matthew has more of Jews in mind, but it's uh-huh. written and uh, it has a lot of, it was probably written from Rome because uh, it has a lot of Latinism in it. Mm-hmm. So he uses a lot of Roman Latin terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I think the thing about Mark, and I'm going to go ahead and say this because I know we're, again, we got stuff written on here. We'll go ahead and get back to a little more of the, the details. But what I, I knew this just by reading the gospels. Okay, so when I read the four Gospels, my own personal preference, I gravitated to Mark. Mm-hmm. And now I know why. is because it was written to me. I'm a Gentile. Mm-hmm. The second reason is I love action movies. Do you love action movies? Oh, yeah. I love action movies. Okay? So if I'm going to watch a movie, nine times out of ten, I'm going to watch an action movie. My favorite movie is The Hunt for Red October. Okay? I will watch that. It was on the other night. I was watching it. I can watch it over and over and over again. I love the hunt for it because I love action movies. The Gospel of Mark is an action movie. Yeah, it is. Like they can make a motion picture of Mark. 
um, the word immediately or suddenly or at once, it's the same thing, is used 42 times mm. in the gospel, 42 times. And in the word and, the conjunction and is you, and this happened, and this happened. It's just like nonstop. It's like you can't get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the movie because you'll miss something. Yep. That's Mark. You can't yep. get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of Mark because you'll miss something. And so it's it's just, he uses the Greek tense, the imperfect tense of continual action. And so I think that's why, because, you know, I'm kind of high energy energy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just gravitate towards Mark. So that's why I said to our readers, I think you will just love reading Mark. Because oh, absolutely. it's designed for us. And so let me break that down. Let me break it down two reasons why I think Mark is like that. So the first reason is Mark is writing this gospel as an evangelistic tool. There's, like you said, it's all oral tradition at this point. Mark is going, hey, we need to write this down, get this on paper, and we can ship this thing out to all the churches and have people read it. This is going to be a tool to spread the good news of Jesus. Because Mark, um, you know, there's been church historians for a while. So the earliest one we kind of know of is a guy named Eusebius. Well, he writes down in this church history that Mark traveled around with Peter. So Mark's going around and he's hearing Peter evangelize. He was his interpreter. Again. Yeah, that was where he said he was Peter's interpreter. That's right. So he would hear Peter preach his sermons and hear Peter tell the stories about Jesus and what he did. Yep. And and so he's getting these sermons again and again and again and again. And finally, he's got these so lodged in his brain. He's like, we need to write this down. So he takes the Apostle Peter's evangelistic ministry and writes it down as his own evangelistic tool. And so I, I think the, uh, the, the, the cool reason that it's so action-packed is Mark is trying to get you to the cross. You know, Matthew's very discipleship-oriented, and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Luke is a historian. He's very detailed. John's very theological. Mark's like Jesus busts into the scene like Rambo, killing Satan, casting out demons, raising the dead, healing the lepers, and then boom, he dies and rises again. He skips (laughs) the genealogies, which is in Matthew. He skips the birth of Christ. There's nothing there. Matthew and Luke talk about the birth of Christ. He goes straight into his ministry, starts with John the Baptist, then goes straight into Jesus' ministry. And it's like it's, and if I remember, the book's cut into two parts. There's his Galilee ministry and then his Jerusalem ministry. Mm-hmm. And it's separated by Peter's confession of Christ. Mark 8, 39. And yep. then um, the transfiguration and I guess the journey to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. That's right. So it's, it is. It's in, and it's like, again, it's an action movie. Mark wants you to walk with Jesus. Mark is trying to get you to ask this question, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? You remember in the, in the beginning, because the, the beginning of the gospel of the Son of God. God. That's what it says. Mark is trying to get you to make this conclusion. And the two high points of this book are Peter's confession. Who do you say that I am? Well, he tells him, you're, you're, you're Jesus. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And then you get to the end of the book. They pierce Jesus' side. And what does the sinner Gentile centurion said. Surely this man was the son of Surely God. Surely this man was the son of God. Yeah, there's that's the theme through it. And then when you yep. get to the end of the book, he wants you to say, Who sure, is this who guy? Who is this Jesus? Well, he is the son you, of have God. You got, so yeah, that's yeah, that's the whole point. So there's a second major theme I think it's important to to note. Uh the reason Mark is writing this book as well is because Mark really hi- highlights suffering in this book. In fact, the church, when Mark is writing this, and this is why a lot of people think he wrote it 
more in the kind of 70s AD area, is because in 64 AD, the church went through major persecution in Rome. Under a guy named Nero. Under, yeah, under Nero. So in 64 AD, this fire broke out in Rome called the Great Fire. Well, most historians now believe Nero was responsible for the fire, and he was just looking for a scapegoat. So for whatever reason, he had beef with the Christians. He puts it on them. He says that the Christians lit lit Rome on fire, and, and he we was, need to punish them. And he was like a lunatic, right? Oh, like he was crazy because was it the old? You know the story. A lot of you already know this. If you haven't, it's cool. Is that he played his fiddle mm-hmm. while Rome burned? That's right. He was in his house playing, and he is the one who playing his lit fiddle while the, his city is on fire burning. And and he was responsible, but he blamed the Christians. Anyway, yeah. And, and so he's, I mean, he is just, he starts uh, taking Christians and he puts them up on a pole and he lights them on fire like a public spectacle. I mean, like we look at fireworks, he would invite people yeah. to look at burning Christians. He lit up Christians, Rome with burning Christians. Lit up Rome with burning Christians. The, the historian Tacitus said, there rose a sentiment of pity due to the impression that they were being sacrificed, not for the welfare of the state, but, to, for, the, but for the ferocity of a single man. So there even became pity for just how seriously Nero was persecuting these Christians. And so um, Mark is writing there during this time of great suffering to encourage Christians. Look, Jesus walked the way of suffering too. Jesus called us to carry our cross. In fact, the moment Peter confesses Jesus is the Messiah, he tells him, you're going to have to carry up your cross and die to yourself. Mark is highlighting the, the, the suffering servant who comes and he suffers and dies for us, who remains faithful to the end. And he's saying, look, Jesus has called us to this. Jesus went through this. You endure to the end, and you will get Jesus's reward as well. So talk about that for a minute. Mark talks about Jesus, and he identifies there's certain aspects of him that he zeroes in on. That's okay? right. Because Jesus can be explained a million ways, the good shepherd, the doorway, mm-hmm. the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection life. But but Mark zeroes in on first. So, so the first one is the Messiah. That's right. Okay, right? Because he uses the phrase son of man. Mm-hmm. And that's that's incredibly common. I don't know how many times it's in the Bible. Over and over, the son it's, of man, son of man. It's most highlighted in Daniel 7, the one like the son of man. Right. Yeah. So it's we know it's the Messiah. That's right. So that's the Jewish aspect that he does include, he wants the Gentile readers to understand about the Messiah. They need to know about the Messiah, but he uses, instead of Messiah, he uses the term son of man. But here, that's right. And and that is a theme highlighted, certainly. That's going to be picked up even greater in Matthew and Luke and things like that. I think as well, he highlights son of God. You know, like we talked about at the beginning of the gospel of the Son of God, Mark is very, very interested because, you, like you said, it's a message to the Gentiles in Jesus's divinity, right? Yes. The, the, the declaration that Jesus is the Son of God in Mark is uttered at Jesus's baptism, his transfiguration by the demon-possessed, by the high priest, and like we mentioned, the centurion. And we've got to note, this is a completely Christian usage. The Jews didn't use Son of God for anything but they knew that when it was used, it was a reference to the divine. They would not have liked Mark's letter. No. His apostle, his, uh, I mean, uh, um, epistle. Yeah. They would not have liked this gospel. So that's why scholars think he wrote this because he was in Rome. He wrote it to the, to the Gentiles, yep. the Romans that were there. Mm-hmm. And because you wouldn't, they would not have liked using the term son of God. Now, what about son of David? 
That this one, help me with that one. This is really good. This is kind of all wrapped up in that Messiah theme. You know, he uses the term Messiah. He uses son of man and he uses son of David. Mark is still, I mean, he, he is fully aware that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of, of these messianic prophecies. And so son of David is a very common term in the Old Testament to reference the the saving Messiah who would come in the future. So that kind of goes back to the Messiah. One. That's right. He uses all these kind of different terms to uh, uh, give to us this supernatural Messiah who's going to save us. Mark, in, his, in the first gospel ever written, is doing a fantastic job at marrying the saving Messiah as the divine son of God and, and putting those two together and saying, he's the one come to deliver and save you. And then the uh, the last one that I'm aware of, maybe you got another one, is the suffering servant. That's right. And, you know, Jesus said, for the son of man did not come, and again, son of man did not come to serve, but to, 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 not to be served, that's right. but to serve yep. and to give his life a ransom for many. So he's a servant who suffers and dies on the cross. That Isaiah 52 language that he is the suffering servant by his stripes, we are healed. Uh, and, and Mark, of course, is going to highlight this because the church is going through major suffering at the time. Mark wants us to see Jesus as the divine, powerful son of God who kicks demons in the face and raises people from the dead. And as soon as as Peter declares him, you're the Messiah, switches gears and marches towards his own death in Jerusalem. That, that, that's it. He that's serves exactly. and he suffers. That's right. So the service part is the action movie where he's working, performing miracles. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because there, there aren't a lot of, there are some parables, but very few. That's right. There's not a lot of Old Testament quotes of prophets there's a few old testament references not not a lot not like matthew mm-hmm. and um it's an action movie i yeah. mean it's it's more about actions it's it's not so much about what jesus said as about what he did mm-hmm. and of course we need to read what jesus said and that's why well, we that's have why four gospels four gospels yeah. right but, but but as an evangelistic tool like like we said earlier we I, this is why it's so important to know the background. What's Mark's purpose? Um, you you don't need all that. When you and I evangelize, if you're going to sit down, if you and I write an evangelistic sermon, or if we sit down to have an evangelistic conversation with someone over lunch, I'm not going, going to pull out hardcore Christology and go into the depth of all of these things, right? I'm trying to make it as, as kind of simple and to the point as possible. We'll deal with that later. You're going to talk about saved. Jesus. We just want to talk about Jesus and his saving yeah. work. He's the savior, the rescuer, the deliverer, the That's guy right. that can do something for you. You need help. He's the, the, yeah. And, and Mark is putting that in terms everybody can understand. Like we may not pick up on the nuances of Matthew and Luke's genealogy. We may not pick up on the nuances of, you know, his fulfillment of prophecy. If you don't know that, but everybody can, can pick up. Jesus walks up, tells the demons to keep their mouth shut and casts them out. Yeah. Right. He's the powerful son of God. Yeah. We can all relate to that. Well, and we need to keep that in mind. You know, there's another, there's, there's embedded within that, um, and, and I don't have it. I mean, I, I got my, I have my Bible here. I could turn and see if I could find it, but there is a, there is a passage. There's a point in the gospel. If, if you'll give me a minute, I might be able to find it. So let me, let me just kind of go through. Do, do, do. Yeah. I wish we had like a, like a soft jazz music 
uh, little button here. Yeah, or the Jeopardy theme song works. We have that weird rock music one. Do you want me to play that? No, I don't want any weird <laughs> rock music right now. <laughs> and and I, so I'm not going to find it. So what, what it is, you have this point where Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee and he calms the storm. Yep. All right. And I wrote in my notes, nature knew who he was. Mm. And then th- they get with this demoniac and Jesus cast the demons out. And I wrote in my margin, the demons knew who he was. Mm-hmm. And then he gets with the girl, the the, the 12-year-old girl who uh, died, or not died, yeah, who died. And Jesus raised her back to life. And I said, death knew who he was. Mm. But then you get with the disciples um, in, that in boat. the boat, and they're terrified. And they said, who is this? Who is this man who can even calm the storm? And I wrote the wind and waves. And I wrote in my note in my margin, the disciples didn't know who he was. Mm. So nature knew, the demons knew, death knew, but the disciples didn't know. And mm. I think that's kind of the point: is Mark's telling these stories and showing Jesus and there's this plot of him doing things and confronting and showing his. And it's like, look, can't you see? I mean, mm. they can't see it, but you got to be able to see it. He's a son, of, and then get, like you said. But when you get to Peter, that's the transitional point when he says, "Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." That's right. Yeah. What a powerful evangelistic tool. And, and so I think I think all of these themes, so all of this background, all of this sets up to look um, at some things Mark does with his literary forms. Now, if you're listening, this is not time to clock out or snooze. We don't mean that like we're going to take you to English class and this is just going to be lame. What we're going to see is is really Mark taking these themes and just doing something intentional in his writing to really highlight who Jesus is. So, hey, the first one is he begins with saying it's the, it's the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. I think we kind of hit that pretty well. We know the point. He's highlighting this. Two, Mark heavily focuses on the passion and the suffering. Like you mentioned, he doesn't spend a lot of time on teaching, but on action. One third of his gospel is the passion narrative. In fact, it's been said that Mark's gospel is a passion narrative with an extended introduction. So the way even Mark writes his entire gospel is he is doing everything he can to get you to the cross. That is the climax. That's the high point. He wants to get his readers, his listeners right there. That's kind of the whole focus and the point of this whole gospel. Yeah. I, I, I mean, again, and that's, that is the point of each gospel is, is to, to say that Jesus is the savior, um, you know, of the world. And, and I just, I think he does a great job with it. I really do. Let's let's highlight that movie theme. I, I love how you keep saying that Mark's an action movie. I think Mark's an action movie for a number of reasons. One, because there's a lot of action in it. But two, it's clear that Mark's gospel is like one single flowing narrative. So when we say that Mark, Mark is more like a movie than it is a TV show. Sometimes Matthew and Luke can read more like a TV show. You've got all these changing scenes. You've got some pretty hard stops. You've got the birth narrative, and then you've got some things happening, and then you've got the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Mark's gospel reads a little bit more easygoing, easy flowing. We're not chopping up episodes and waiting for season two. We're reading Mark all at once and picking up this smooth, flowing narrative. 
Because like we mentioned before, Mark's not a systematic theology. Mark's not trying to teach us all of these deep teachings. It's an evangelistic tool. Mark wants you to read his whole gospel at once and for, from beginning to end, pick up on these major themes of the Son of God coming to save the world. And so I think Mark reads really smoothly, really easily. nicely. Yeah, oh, he easily. That, that's why I like, again, I give it to new believers because I'm like, I think they will read this and it, and they don't have to weed through all of the Jewish, uh, what's what's the word I'm trying to find? For the, what could be hangups? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not If hang-ups. you don't know, right. if you don't have that background. The Jewish context That's and right. the Jewish concepts and the Jewish traditions that and some of the things that are in there, you're not going to get that in Mark. And, and you... So you don't have to worry about that. So. And I think the last thing that Mark does really well and kind of gives us that movie scene is uh, he gives us enhanced descriptions in his stories. So while Mark may not be as thorough overall as far as teachings and things like that, he gives us re- like a lot of details. Like typically the, the Markin version of a story will take twice as long as the synoptics. So for instance, the three stories which take up the whole of 43 verses in Mark 5 are covered by Matthew and only 16 verses. So you get these intimate details like you'd get from eyewitnesses, you know, corroborating their stories, the reaction of the crowds, the emotional responses of Jesus, the reactions of the disciples. Like Mark does a really good job of immersing you in this story. And it's it's like he's changing scenes. And the characters. Yeah. And the the characters. It makes a great movie. It's fantastic. I, I think I got this right when I was preparing for today. I think Mark records about half of Jesus' miracles. Does that sound right? I can't remember. I don't have it written down somewhere. But I, he, I, I think so. So again, little you. teaching, few you. parables, but just a lot of a, a lot of action that that's taken place. Mm. Uh, so, so I think one of the things maybe we could do. You know, I know you and I talked about not getting too bogged down in it. Let's stop for a minute, and then we can come back. Maybe apply some things to people. Yeah. Who is Mark? Ooh. So we haven't even talked about this author. Mm-hmm. All right. So first of all, is Mark in the Gospel of Mark? Is his name found there? No. Okay. So how do we know that some guy named Mark wrote the Gospel, and who is he? So we talked about that a little bit earlier. We've, uh, you know, we've got the historical witness right from uh, the church historian Eusebius that church tradition has basically said Mark is the one who a, wrote this gospel. And a guy named Papias, yeah, am so, I saying his name right? Yeah, or Papias. Or so Papias. basically Eusebius quotes, uh, quotes Papias, who is, isn't he quoting somebody else uh, no, or something I think, like that? I, I think he was actually... Yeah, he quotes the elder John. So listen right. to this. So it's a quote of a quote of a quote. Eusebius records Mark as the author and quotes Papias, the bishop of Hierapolis, in about 140 AD. Papias quotes some guy named the elder John who says, Mark, listen to the apostle Peter's sermons. So well, John the elder would have probably been the apostle John. Well, I mean, I gotta, I'm just taking the scholar's word for it. Most of them don't believe that they're talking about the Apostle John, but it like some, some elder, elder named, named John. John. Okay. Um, but we do have that historical witness because, you know, we don't really see in, other than um, John's gospel where he identifies himself kind of 
Not really. Not really. None though. of them do. None, none of, the, of them identify. None of themselves. the gospel writers identify. Themselves. So we have to take the church's witness on that. So we have historical witness that's maintained throughout the the centuries, the existence of the church that Mark wrote this book. Right. So who is Mark? Mark is Barnabas's cousin. Mm-hmm. So Paul and Barnabas. If you read about him in Acts, he is. Um, uh, he lives in Jerusalem. His mother lives in Jerusalem. She has a house in Jerusalem because in Acts, uh, in the gospel, in the book of Acts, when Peter was in prison and he was going to get his head cut off, and the angel came and let him out of the prison supernaturally, mm-hmm. he went to John Mark's mother's house. And Rhoda answered, mm-hmm. heard the door and answered and the door ran. and ran back and said, Peter's here, never even opened the door. And that was so a lot of scholars think that Mark grew up in affluence and wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and and he was probably a mixture of Gentile and Jew because he has the name John Mark. His name is John Mark. Mm-hmm. So they don't know. But anyway, he he, he was, uh, it may not have been, but he, so he was closely connected with the early church. Mm-hmm. And there is, you know, none of the none of the writers, this is kind of one of those little trivia things. We don't know. The writers, and it was it was a it was a it was a it was something that was done at the time. It was a usage of the time. Okay. It was a trend. Is that when you wrote a story that you didn't include yourself in the story, mm-hmm. if you did, it was indirectly. So John in his gospel never uses his name, but he refers to himself when he, he he calls himself the the disciple that Jesus loved, yeah, okay, I love that, too. yeah. And so the <laughs> no one, shame, no shame, but <clears throat> the disciple that Jesus loved did this. Well, he's referring to himself, mm-hmm. and so Mark may have done something similar because when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's a story in Mark, and it's only found in Mark that there was a young man with the apostles. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it doesn't name who he is, but we know who all the apostles are. So it's somebody other than the 12, the 11, because Judas is betrayed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he has wrapped himself with a, like a toga, okay, which they did back then. Mm-hmm. All right, so he didn't have a pair of, of Fruit of the Looms and then put on his Levi's. <laughs> he, he, he put on a toga. Well, when they arrested Jesus, it says all the disciples fled. They took off running. Everybody, every man for himself. Well, this guy... Took off. Well, there were young men who started chasing him from the group, the mob, and they grab his clothes. Well, he just works his way out of the sheet and then just runs off and naked. Runs off naked <laughs> and escapes. That's in the Bible. That sounds like a dream. That honestly sounds like a nightmare a that nightmare. I would have. Okay. And so, well, what scholars say is it's very possible that that was Mark. So he was at least connected with the apostles. That's right. So this guy had some direct connections Mm -hmm. with, with the apostles and and may have even obviously known Jesus indirectly and heard Jesus. So there's some connections, you know, there with him, Mm -hmm. but um, Mark went on Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. So there's an interesting story there. And they traveled, and they got to a place called uh, per, Pergamum, per, Pergium, Pergia, Pergia, or something oh, Pergia. like that. And uh, Paul decided they were going to keep going deeper into the interior and go into places that was outside. Well, I think it made Mark either scared mm-hmm. or uncomfortable, took him out of his comfort zone. Uh, it may have been like, again, where he grew up and he was sort of sheltered and whatever. 
he left him. He got on a ship, came back, went home. Man, he got homesick. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the story goes in the Bible is that he leaves and he comes back. Well, Paul and Barnabas finished their journey and they come back and they do some things. And then Paul says, well, let's let's go back to the churches that we set up and on that first journey. Let's go check on him and do some more work. And Barnabas says, great. He said, let's take Mark because Mark was his cousin, family. Yeah. And Paul says, no. That that kid bailed out on us. Mm-hmm. We don't need him. And it was a point of contention. I mean, they had a full blown argument yep. about Paul and Barnabas. I mean, it I bet it got heated. And um, it was so heated that Barnabas looked at him and said, Tell you what, big boy, you go do your own journey. I'm gonna do mine. I don't want to travel with you. I mean, it was pretty mm-hmm. serious. So the Bible says that Paul took Silas and Barnabas took Mark. And we don't ever hear Mark again because obviously Luke starts recording the works of, of Paul and the ministry of Paul, so you don't really hear a lot about Barnabas and, and Mark from that point on. Well, then later, Mark shows back up again, and it's in Timothy. Second Timothy. Paul's like, knows he's dying very soon. Right. He's in Rome, okay? And Mark, evidently, is in Rome. And Paul writing to Timothy says, get Mark and bring him with you when you come to me because he is profitable to me. Mm-hmm. He's valuable to me. So evidently, Paul and Mark reconciled, and t- and Mark, through the years of ministry, proved himself to be a capable minister, mm-hmm. and and he did a lot of work for the Lord. And Mark, Paul's whole attitude changed toward him is that this guy, uh, I know he screwed up, messed up early on, but hey, he's turned out to be a awesome and it's important man to know too. Mark abandoned Paul earlier. Now, at the end of Paul's life, everybody else had abandoned him and left him in prison, but Mark was still faithful to Paul. And where everybody else was ashamed of Paul and wanted nothing to do with him, Mark was still there. Mark was still there. Mm -hmm. Uh, One other thing that is interesting is that um, Peter calls him my son Mm. when he makes reference to Mark. He calls him my son. So Mark, so we're talking about Paul and all that. What happened, I think, and there may have been some of this going on prior to that missionary journey, but I think Peter and Mark were close. I think they were, and I think afterwards what may have happened is because he stayed in Jerusalem where Peter was, Paul's outrun all over the country, Mark got with Peter and became very close to Peter. And then as we stated earlier in this episode, wrote he, this ended gospel. Up, he, wrote, he, he ended up writing his gospel. It's funny, you never know like the hand of God in certain things, and maybe God knew or God planned, or I don't know. I don't know how God's power and sovereignty works, but it's funny, it kind of just worked out that way. Right, and and maybe what it was, you know, we talk about God is in control. God said, I don't really need you running all over the world with I need you right Paul. This gospel. I need you here because mm-hmm. I need you doing, I have a different assignment for mm-hmm. you. That's good. Yeah. That's so a good it's, little background on the author. Uh, yeah. So it, this is a, a really interesting mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and one of the other things we didn't talk about, the reason we tell you all this too, is that in the, use that nice word, the, the canonical, mm-hmm. which is the root word of the canon, which is the, the list of Bible, accepted Bible uh, accepted books, books of the in the Bible. Bible. Yeah. So which we have 66. Um, the early church, one of the, one of the things that, qualifications was that whoever wrote what would be accepted as a Bible book had to be an apostle Mm -hmm. 
but then they also said knew they had to change it or either had close association with an apostle. That in other words, whatever they wrote, they got directly from apostle. So if you look at Matthew, he was an apostle. John was an apostle. But it's interesting, two of the four gospels, those two of the guys were not apostles, and that's Mark and Luke. Mm -hmm. Luke was a physician, and Mark was, I don't know what Mark did, but Mark got all of his information directly from Peter. And so um, that's an interesting is that he's not an apostle, but, mm-hmm. but Peter was an apostle, first, second Peter, and James was an apostle, and Jude was an apostle. Uh, if you go through the Bible, the rest of the New Testament, it was apostles that wrote the New Testament. It's really cool. Yeah. It's really, really cool. It's interesting. Well, let's um, <clears throat> let's focus in because we know really what Mark was kind of going for. We know why he was around. Let's hit just a few more of kind of the unique things, maybe some chief motifs, and then let's get to what's the point? What does this have to do with us? How can this, what's the message of Mark and what does it have to do with us? So I I just want to hit a couple more, you know, just light kind of unique things here and there. I don't want to get too far in the weeds because gosh, we could be here for two hours talking about what Mark was doing. Um, I think Mark's really, really interesting because he speaks in a lower class Greek. So when he's writing, he's speaking in what's called Koine Greek, which is just kind of the, the, the commoner's Greek, the everyday guy's Greek. Mark is reading this to be read easily. He wants people to understand this. He wants to take the Apostle Peter's simple sermons, write them down in a simple way so that people can understand them and come into faith into the Son of God. Two, and this is what I think is so cool, Mark addresses his readers directly. Like His goal, to, his goal is, is to speak to them and force them to come to grips with who Jesus is. So for instance, Mark uses a parenthetical statement to show significance of a certain statement or action. So here's an example. In the account of Jesus healing and forgiving the paralytic, Jesus calls himself the son of man, yet we know that Jesus wanted to keep himself on the down low. So it's impossible, it's it's possible that this was a statement Mark inserted in for the sake of the readers to know who Jesus was, that it was a little insert to kind of help them reconcile with who Jesus is by his actions by throwing a little something in there to kind of help them understand. It's just possible that he did that. Um, Mark Moore openly adds a phrase when he's dealing with the Pharisees who wash their hands before every meal, and Jesus is confronted with them. And then Mark adds, the Pharisees and all the Jews who do not eat before washing their hands. Right? That wasn't something... Jesus said, Mark, the author, kind of inserts himself into this story about the Pharisees washing their hands, knowing that his book is directed towards Gentiles. Yeah, they wouldn't it understand that. just explains that it real right. quick. Yeah, they wouldn't, that wouldn't make sense to them if he doesn't mm-hmm. put that parenthetical statement. By, by the way, parenthetical, think parentheses, where when you're writing, but then you want to add a little something, you put it in parentheses to maybe help explain it, and then you keep writing again. Mm-hmm. That's what a parenthetical statement is when you hear us say that. That's you're right. just wondering. And I think the last thing that's so cool uh, about Mark's speaking to reader speaking to readers, if he doesn't do it directly, he directs the narrative to address the readers. Here's what I mean: in chapter thirteen, verses thirty-seven, he, Jesus says, "And what I say to you, I say to all: Watch." Well, if you're reading that, I'm in the all. Watch. It pulls you in. It pulls me in. He. But, by and, the way, you know, there's a joke about that. What? So there's a little boy that his parents that that 
he decided he wanted a watch for Christmas. Mm-hmm. This, and so he just he just badgered his mom and dad all the time. I want that watch. I want a watch. Mom and dad, I want that watch. They finally got tired of it. And they said, we don't want to hear another word about that watch. If you do, you're going to get, you're not going to get the watch. Yeah. Okay. So he said, okay. They went to the supper table and that this family had a tradition that the children were required to memorize a scripture and they were supposed to then recite it at the table. And that little boy was ready. And when they came, it came his term. They said, okay, Johnny, what's your scripture? He said, what I say unto you, I say to all, watch. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw That's that in so there. Cheesy. It's cheesy, but it fits. It, it fits. fits. And we even talk about the the narrative of them in the storm in the boat, and the disciples say, "Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him?" The readers aren't called to this sort of spectator relationship with Jesus. The way Mark writes, he invites his readers in to ask the very same questions, to do the very same things, to to really come and follow Jesus. Um, here's kind of the 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 second and maybe you, you last literary thing because I just love the name. There's something called a Markin sandwich. The Markin sandwich sounds delicious. You get this it? at the local deli. The local. We need to start a Christian deli that has a Markin sandwich, and we'll sell coffee, and we'll call it Hebrews. Hebrews. Oh okay. man, that would be so good. Uh, the, what is the Markin sandwich? So Markin sandwich, or as my friends in the lower part of the state of South Carolina say, sandwich. Sandwich. So the Mark and Sandwich is where Mark begins a story, but he doesn't finish it. Right after that, he inserts a completely different story. Then after that story, he picks up where he left off with the first story, and he finishes it. So it's kind of like a sandwich. I've got the bread, and then I've got something different in the middle, and then again, I've got the bread that kind of completes and like, finishes the sandwich. Like an Oreo cookie? That's right, like an Oreo cookie. So what Mark is doing is he's beginning these stories, and then he's inserting a completely different story in the middle, not to throw you off, not because it's random, but because that story will actually highlight uh, the, the in both stories together. So for instance... Chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, Jesus' family left their village to go grab him because they thought he was crazy. They're like, this guy's traveling around. He's got hordes of people following him. This guy's kind of crazy. Then right after that, Mark switches gears. He inserts the story of the Pharisees accusing him of being demon-possessed. Mark's family wasn't, or Jesus' family wasn't doing that, but a pretty serious accusation of being crazy in a they different said way. He has Beelzebub. Beelzebub. Yeah, that's the, what they actually said. Beelzebub. Then Jesus arrives at the house. Last story, where his family's looking for him. So it's possible Mark inserted the story of the Pharisees to highlight the similarity of those who think Jesus is crazy and those who think Jesus is demon possessed. He's inviting the readers to address that concern. Maybe you're like Jesus' family and you think he's crazy, or maybe far worse. You're like the Pharisees, and you think he's from the devil. Mark is highlighting these two stories to highlight our initial reactions of Jesus and then to dispel them and give us the truth about who he is. So he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord, kind of that whole C.S. Lewis thing. Yep, like C.S. Lewis, that's right. He's either demon-possessed, he's a lunatic, or he is Lord and King and Son of Man, Son of God. That's right, and so Mark is intentionally designing his story to be... Just like that, which I think is really neat writing. The Markin sandwich. Let's do it. Yeah, I like it a lot. Finally, let's go over some like 
major themes where we can take, where we're really asking this question, what is Mark really trying to get across? And how that how does that apply to you and me? What is Mark trying to get across? And how does that impact my life? There is some big major themes in this gospel that have really serious everyday application for you and me. I, I know for me there are three. And if you want to add any, but I and and I think this kind of wraps up. So folks, we're wrapping it up here. Um f- first of all, it's a gospel. So the theme is Jesus saves. Mm-hmm. He there, there is this man who was the son of God, and he can save you, and he can wash your sins away, and he can make you right with God. Mm-hmm. So I think there is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, what, what we classically would call the gospel. So obviously it's about the saving, atoning work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that says to anybody reading it, if you're a sinner, you can be saved. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. What's that's, good. that's awesome. Thank God for the all four of the Gospels. I think the second one is that it is a book of uh, uh, with a message of hope and encouragement for people who are suffering. Mm-hmm. And we'll go back. You talked about Nero, and when when he wrote this, p- people were suffering and they were hurting and and they were they had committed their life to Christ, and now all of a sudden they're being persecuted for it. Yeah. And so the question you you will say to yourself is, am I going to keep doing this or I'm going to bail out on this and so I don't get persecuted anymore? Yeah. I'm going to turn my back on Jesus and forget this stuff. And Paul, um, uh, Mark wrote to say, you're going to suffer. Jesus suffered, but he endured. You endured. Mm. You endured. Don't, don't give up. This is, he overcame. He rose from the grave. He, he's promised the kingdom and and a power and and don't give up. You're going to lose all that. So I think it is a message of hope and encouragement. Can we, can we break that down? Yeah. Just a few of the te- the texts there. Yeah. So I think that that would that I think that's such a major point. Let me just give you some examples all where right. Mark highlights that suffering. Jesus gives a threefold prediction of his passion with rising intensity in greater detail every time. Okay. So those verses are Mark 8, 31, 9, 31, and 10, 33. So right there, back to back to back. Back to back to back, and every time he's amping it up. This is key to Jesus's message. The purpose of his coming, like we mentioned earlier, he says, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus notes, my purpose is death. My purpose is to be a ransom. It's it's to stand in your way. Jesus warns of tribulation and persecution that would test Christians in Mark 4.17. Hey, even the death of John the Baptist, and he comes in like a prophet, as a prophet, proclaiming the truth, and he dies. John the Baptist is a foreshadowing of the even greater prophet Jesus who would suffer at the hands of the Pharisees because of his message. Jesus tells us we've got to deny ourselves and take up his cross. He tells James and John they'll drink his cup of suffering. That's the one. Let me pause, pause yeah. you there. That's See, that's the other one. I, I, I forgot about that. Is That's the one where he said, if any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. John doesn't sugarcoat or, or, or eliminate mm-hmm. the suffering. He accentuates it. In fact, that follows up. Literally right after, Mark declares him the Messiah, or excuse me, Peter declares him the Messiah. In Mark's mind, Messiah and suffering go hand because in hand. Because when he said, you are the Christ, son of the living God, blessed are you, Simon, Bar- you know, son of Jonah. And then he went on saying, he said, 
then he started explaining to them how the Son of Man was going to Jerusalem and yep. going to suffer the chief priests and the elders and die and That's the right. third day rise again. And then Peter said, not so, Lord. Mm-hmm. And he said, get behind me, Satan. So again, Mark is trying to say, Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. If you say, no, you, you're not going to suffer, you're in league with the devil. You're anti-Christ. You're anti-Christ. You're in league with the devil. Yeah. That's not how it works. You have to say suffering and dying for Christ is part of as part of the package, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's worth it because it because it's the cause of Christ and because Jesus is your Savior. And yeah, that's really powerful. That's really good. I have one more. Yeah. Um, unless there's anything more with the suffering part. No, I think we covered that good. I think the third one for me, and I think this is really good, and hopefully this will help somebody. Mark tried to do ministry, failed, okay, was seen as a failure by those in leadership, Paul, mm-hmm. but was also seen as someone with potential in leadership, Barnabas, who then took him under his wing, even though Paul wrote him off and said, I'm going to keep working on you, Barnabas, and we're going to keep working. And he, because he got a little attention, even though he failed, became a, a very successful worker for the cause of Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ. And eventually got to the point where even Paul said, you know what? I was wrong. Mm. I, I couldn't see it. You you are incredibly valuable, not just to the kingdom of God, but to me and my ministry. And and Paul wrote half of the New Testament, but Mark wrote one-fourth of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. This man was right up there with Paul, the guy who wrote him off and thought this guy's going to amount to nothing. He He's an author of the New Testament, the 27 books. Mark's, Mark's right there with Paul in the mm. same line. And we talked about how it may have not even happened if that conflict hadn't gone down. Right. And that's just the, the way God can redeem you and use your sin or mistakes or conflict or whatever it is to end up producing something major and powerful for his glory. And that's exactly the point, Evan. He's the God of the second chance. So Mm -hmm. if you're here today and you're thinking, I've tried to do ministry, I failed, I didn't do good, don't write yourself off. Don't let the devil talk you out of ever doing ministry again. I've seen this happen to people. Look at Mark and say, if God could take Mark and recover him. I mean, he did it with Peter too. Maybe that's why Mark and Peter got along so well because Peter blew it. He denied yeah, the Lord three right. times. He thought, I'm over. My ministry's over. I'm done. I'm going back. And he did. He went back to fishing. Mm-hmm. He got out of the ministry, went back to his fishing business. And the Lord had to, after the resurrection, had to go get him and say, uh-uh, it's not what I called you to. You know, yeah. you need to get back. And so today, just be encouraged that if you did, go back to your pastor and go back, whatever your passion, your calling is from God, your niche, that thing that you could see yourself doing for the Lord, you know that's what you're supposed to be doing. Don't let anything, don't let failure stop you. Yeah. Failure is not the end. Failure is is part of the lesson of success. Yeah. Successful people fail a lot. And so if you failed, you learn from it, you say to somebody who believes in you, train me, teach me. Maybe there's somebody, young person listening right now, find a mentor who believes in you, even mm-hmm. though you've blown it, who says, I believe in you. And I believe that that you can be successful. And then watch as God does great things in your life that you can't even imagine doing for him. Mm, that's good. Yeah, it's powerful. I like to highlight one major theme just because we've talked about it before, and it's such a major theme for all the Gospels. And with Mark being the first one 
I don't think we can miss it. The overarching thing of, of all four Gospels, and Mark kicks this off, is that Jesus is, is bringing the announcement of the good news of the kingdom. Like the overarching message of Jesus, especially in all four Gospels, especially in Mark, is the good news that the kingdom of heaven is here. The Old Testament has been has been building up this promise that God would restore his kingdom. He would bring his people back from exile. He would send them this Messiah who is a king, who is a ruler, who is a savior. He would restore peace. And what does Mark show Jesus doing? He skips past all the birth stuff. He skips past all of that. He tells us this gospel, shows us Jesus is baptized, and then boom, Jesus shows up, and what is he saying? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. hand. Repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The good news of the kingdom is that the kingdom is here, and the entrance into that kingdom means turning your back on sin and believing in this Christ. And so this king shows up, and like we talked about in the first half, up until Peter's declaration of Jesus being the Messiah, he shows up with authority like a real king has, casting out demons, healing the sick, cleansing the leper, raising the dead. I mean, he has complete and total victory over Satan. He heals or he forgives the sins of the paralytic that he heals. He's got all kinds of things going on. He's calling sinners and all people to come to me, come be my blood relative. Who is my family? It's those who do the will of God. He tells us the kingdom of here, but it's growing slowly. It starts with a small seed, and it's going to culminate in a harvest. The kingdom of here, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's small, but it certainly is growing. And I think the significance contextually is that they have Caesar, the mm-hmm. king That's right. of Rome, persecuting them and trying to squelch them out. And what Mark is trying to say is there is another kingdom that's here mm. that is greater than that kingdom. That's right. And there is another king here who is greater than Nero. And he is the Christ. And his kingdom is greater. Don't be afraid of Nero and his kingdom. You serve a greater Christ mm. and he will ultimately overcome. Rome says Caesar is Lord. And Christians say Jesus is Lord. That's it. And the kingdom really and truly is already and not yet. And I think, you know, we, we see, we know that covenant is here, that he has agreed to be our king, his kingdom is here. We, we know that he shed his blood, he died and rose again to inaugurate that kingdom. We see it in power. You know, he tells us, I'm going to die for you. And then right after that whole narrative where Peter declares him he's the Messiah, uh, some of y'all will see the kingdom coming in glory boom, we see the transfiguration. There is this tension here that the kingdom is already and not yet. We join it now, but it's still kind of coming in the future. There's glory to be had, but not for everyone. And I think I think Mark's evangelistic message, both to sinners and to those who are suffering, is repent and join the kingdom now because there's glory coming later. If you're a sinner, the time to join the kingdom is now. Repent and believe now. When Christ comes back, there's no time left for repentance. Forgiveness of sins is here now. The kingdom is here now. Your Lord is here now. And for those of you suffering, the kingdom is here now, but it's coming in glory later. He, God's in con- charge. God, yeah. God's in control. You stay suffering. The kingdom is yeah, coming. Yeah, and there's greater glory coming. There is it's a worth kingdom it. here, and it's worth it because it's it's here, and yet it's coming in the future. Good stuff. 
Well, do you have anything else to add? No, I think that's it. Great well, stuff. I told y'all. We tried to tell y'all. <laughs> it's good stuff. That's just the introduction to Mark. That was the introduction, and we skipped over probably three pages of notes. I mean, Mark's a good book. That's all I'm trying to say. Mark is a good book, and I hope after you've listened to this podcast, you want to grab your Bible and read them. Here's my encouragement to you. Take a Saturday morning before the kids get up. Take a late night when they're in bed. Read through the Gospel of Mark uh, beginning to end. It's the shortest gospel. It's only 16 chapters. 16 chapters yeah. I don't know the exact time. I believe you could probably read it from anywhere between like 45 minutes to an hour. I don't know what your reading speed is. You can do it. I want to encourage you, after you've listened to this podcast with these things in mind, Read that thing from beginning to end. Read it like the action movie, awesome story that it is. Get to the end and agree with the centurion and with Peter. Wow, this truly yeah. is or the get son your, of get God. Get your version Bible, whatever, and put your your earbuds in yep. and turn it on listen and listen to it. to it. You can listen to it in no time. and Yeah, it's good. Well, look, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, share, like, rate, subscribe. Send this to somebody who needs it. Keep this podcast in your back pocket for when you need to learn a little bit about Mark again. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. 